Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Morning Shot Uncut. This is the uncensored, unfiltered podcast of the Morning Shot channel on YouTube. With me, of course, is my co-host, Baron, all the way from, I don't know, some rural shithole in South Africa. But today we're not going to talk about South Africa, at least for the first half of the podcast. We want to talk about BRICS, de-dollarization of trade around the world, and most importantly, why the hell is South Africa in BRICS? Because we're like the water boy for everyone else. Hello, Baron. Hello, Ramon. And yes, let's start off with this because actually the founder, one of the founders, the guy who actually came up with the brainchild of BRICS this week, actually came out and said something rather interesting. And that is, now that BRICS is considering having new entrants into their, let's call it their club. What else can we call it? But now that they're considering new entrants into their club, he um, he has admitted that all the way at the start of the conception of BRIC before it became BRICS, with the inclusion of South Africa, is he was not keen to include South Africa in the actual group. And so he did go a little bit further and didn't explain why. And he said that the initial idea behind BRICS was that the countries involved represented over 50% of the world's population. Which, if you actually really think about it, like when people talk about the world being overpopulated, the world is not overpopulated. Four countries on the planet was overpopulated. They they include over fifty percent of the world's population. Those being namely China, India, and Russia, as we know, because there's part of the BRICS and Brazil. I mean, Brazil's got a shitload of people. So, the idea there, in the original conception, was that the members of BRICS would be required to have a population at least of a hundred million, and that hundred million would be significant enough to warrant their inclusion in the group. South Africa doesn't have that. So the original idea was then that it would basically be included as an emerging market. But if you, and at the time, obviously South Africa was an upcoming emerging market. But if you look at South Africa now, we're the dunce of the emerging markets and we don't have the population criteria. So he admitted, the original founder of BRICS, that the inclusion of South Africa into the BRICS was actually a mistake. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, everyone knows that except for uh, the South African government for some reason. Because I know what you're saying about BRICS being, you know, some sort of trade, uh, you know, agreement. No, no, it's fine. No, I have to edit that. Fuck. Anyway, back to the podcast. Uh, So we can understand that, you know, BRICS was a sort of trading arrangement about populous countries, uh, populous in terms of population size, not populist as in terms of politics. Now that has changed fundamentally. It looks like BRICS is actively driving the de-dollarization of international trade. And when the war in Ukraine started, this is exactly what we were saying back then. If you go back Mm. in time, go to February 2022, look at videos on this channel, and you'll see exactly what we said. This is the start of the end of the unipolar world, where the hegemony of the dollar is coming perhaps to an end depending on a few factors, namely what is happening with BRICS. And what it seems like, BRICS is like the latest strip club that everyone wants to go see, right? So every country in the world now wants to join BRICS. Saudi Arabia wants to join BRICS. Um, There are a few others, of course, as well. And basically what they are doing is aligning, cooperating, signing agreements with each other to basically pay for resources in currencies that are not the dollar. This is a brand new world, ladies and gentlemen, and the implications for it it's, is massive. 
Yeah, so it's actually very interesting because as as those of you who don't know, I work in finance, so I'm a finance expert. Expert. Trust the expert, right? So you better trust me on this one. But the uh, the idea behind the de-dollarization actually is the US's fault because what the US has effectively done is they've inflated their own currency. And by that, what they've done is they've inflated the worth of their currency. Now, how they've done that is obviously they've successively raised interest rates and been raising interest rates traditionally markets would not really invest so much in u.s treasury bonds because the returns on them would be quite low but now that they're intri- they're increasing the interest rate the returns on those treasury bonds are higher and in some instances they're actually rivaling emerging markets so that has had a knock-on effect in currency exchanges and so now the u.s dollar is obviously a lot stronger than it ever has been before but a lot of that has actually been done artificially. It hasn't been done through actual economic strength that's been done by basically government monetary policy. The problem becomes in that if you deflate everyone else's currencies, whilst those currencies themselves are experiencing degrees of hyperinflation, or at least stressed inflation, inflation beyond the norm, those currencies which have to trade in the US dollars have to then spend more of their own internal cash in order to buy goods so it's like south africa is a good example right if the exchange rate to the dollar de- diminishes then when we go to buy our oil we have to pay a lot more for it in terms of brands but we've already got hyperinflation of our own which means that actually not only do we have to then deal with our own inflation but we have to deal with the inflation caused by the americans it's basically like getting inflation times two so Typically, what you would you would want to to do in order to drive that away is basically stop trading in dollars. I mean, if the if the dollar rate keeps going up and up and up because of self-inflated monetary policy from the Fed, then the only option you have is to stop trading in dollars. Now, typically or historically, that wasn't actually possible, was it? Because everybody knew the gold was you know the dollar was the standard. Now, also bear in mind that before the, the dollar was the standard, gold was the standard, so you paid in gold. But Russia, thankfully Russia, has shown that they were able to do this amazing thing, and that is Russia got paid in rubles. So everybody was like, oh, you mean there is life outside the dollar? And Russia showed that the possibility of getting paid in your local currency and trading in your local currency was a possibility. Could so effect, because they were forced to, 100%. So if you look at the de-dollarization that's occurring, it hasn't been by choice. It's actually been inflicted on third, the third world because the first is that the Americans have inflated their own currency through monetary policy because of the forms of hyperinflation. The second is they're obviously they're borrowing of Russia from the system and taking Russia out of the SWIFT system, which means that Russia's had to pay with rubles and they can't do any form of exchange. So all of this has actually been self-inflicted on the Americans by themselves. Exactly, exactly. And that's what people are sort of are not are not seeing because we do know that before, right, if you wanted to de-dollarize oil or something like that, like, I don't know, let's say Muammar Gaddafi, they come and, you know, imp- impose democracy on your ass in Libya, right? Same with Syria, same with Iraq and a variety of other places. But if Russia does it, they can't impose democracy in Russia, right? It's not like they can put boots on the ground because... Putin will just send a hypersonic missile to you know New York City in two hours, and the Americans can't stop that hypersonic missile. They don't have the capabilities of doing so. 
So in essence, what Putin is showing the world, and ironically, as the man who wants multipolarity at all costs, he is the one pushing it to a degree where it's never been done before. And China is catching up and India is catching up. And when you have, ironically, a nationalist government in Russia, a nationalist government in China, a nationalist government in India, who are playing this role very nicely, and okay, Brazil, not very nationalist, but they're not sort of American tied anymore, ironically, because Bolsonaro left. So now you've got nationalist governments who are part of BRICS, who actually think to themselves, what is in the best interest of our nations? And it's actually to effect trade without the dollar. And very much so. Very much an amazing confluence of factors. And the Ukraine war was the inflection point, as we said so, when it started. So many people are now questioning, so what currency do we trade in? So India's obviously tried to conduct trade in firms in forms of rubles, obviously their local currency. Russia wants to obviously get traded in their local currency. But the big thing now is that, and the debate that's occurring is, what is the standardization? If it's not going to be the dollar, what is it going to be? The answer at the moment appears to be the Chinese currency, the yuan. So that's going to be very interesting because obviously as China gets more aggressive with its economic policies and as it wishes to eventually succeed America as a world superpower, which I don't think is going to happen, but that's a podcast at another time. But as that happens, obviously the strength of the yuan becomes important. And that's exactly actually what we see. So it's it's very interesting right at the point where the Americans almost need their strength or their economic might to be at its maximum. The country that they self-empowered appears to be overtaking them very quickly. Um, so none of this is really... Let me rephrase that. Many people assume that this has all been done as a form of foul play by, as the Americans are now dubbing it, the axis of evil. So the Americans are actually coining this phrase. It's apparently the the phrase of the new alliance or the BRICS partners, if you will. You know, your China, your Russia, those type of parties, which is very interesting that they consider them to be evil considering most of their factories are still sitting in China, but that's a story for another day. Um, but that new axis of evil, as they wish to describe it, you know, it's, a, it's, very, it's very interesting that all of that has been self-created and self-empowered. And the irony of all ironies is that even some of the American allies are now trying to get into the game. So France and China signed a deal in one. So it's the first one settled uh, liquid natural gas trade with Total, which is a French company, is going to buy Chinese gas from the UAE. Except it's not Chinese gas, obviously it's Russian gas. Because the problem is, France has sanctioned Russia and therefore can't get Russian gas. So now they have to find another way to get gas, otherwise it's going to be a revolution in France. So now even France, who is a huge member of NATO, huge, you know, subservient to the American empire, is now also going to pay in Chinese currency for Russian gas based in the UAE. Mates, that is not something that happens because people want it. France is desperate and they're quite happy to maybe cut out the US in, in terms of this particular deal, knowing well the implications of a lack of gas reserves in Russia, in sorry, in Europe and in France in particular. Huge, huge news. No one's really seeing the insight here. 
Yeah, I think people, I think people are seeing it. But as I, as I say, you know, right when the Americans need to be at their at their strongest in order to to keep their role within the world, they seem to be scoring many, many, many own goals here. Why? Don't know. Um, there's lots of conspiracies as to as to why it might be, you know. But the the, the reality of the situation is, it's Biden. Come on, sorry to interrupt, but I mean Biden as a president has been horrifically bad for America. He's made the U.S. a laughing stock. His foreign policy has been atrocious. America has never been as weak and as isolated and as useless as right now, where even the Germans, right, who love America, even the Europeans in NATO are like, geez, maybe America has too much fucking influence over the internal policies of Europe. I mean, Biden's administration has been awful. Compared to, to Trump, when Trump left office, how much we all loved America for just being nationalist, for actually imposing its will. It's just, in three years, a complete 180 and a complete burnout. Sorry to I, don't, I, I, I don't believe it is Biden. That's, that's, that's the point. And I'm going to say something, I suppose, rather controversial, which has this as a uncut podcast. That's probably, it's probably all right. Get demonetized on YouTube for saying this. But... I don't think that Biden is cognitively in the driving seat when it comes through to American foreign policy. Oh. I think that he's, to to a large degree, he's been allowed to remain in the in the role as the president of the country because he is cognitively absent, and it allows the people behind closed doors to do what they want to do unchecked. I mean, could you imagine people doing what they are now doing with Donald Trump being in the White House? I mean, could you imagine Ron DeSantis allowing all of this? I, I just can't see that, mate. Like. The guy is too switched on. He's very connected in terms of what all of his cabinet members are doing. I think the only thing that Bar Joe Biden appears to be cognitive of of what's actually occurring in his country is whether or not he has chocolate chip ice cream for dinner, which we recently saw on TV. So, you know, it's 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 a real it's a real problem in that what you've got is you've got a driver in the seat there, and the driver is largely cognitively absent. Um, which is why this is all, which is why it's all occurring. But then you have to ask yourself the questions of, okay, fine. If we, if you accept my premise that Biden is absent and that there's people behind scenes that are, are doing their own thing unchecked without any checks and balances, the relevant question is who are those people and why are they doing it? So that's where your conspiracy theories start to come in, right? And I'm not going to speculate on those, but yeah. Yeah, because uh, this doesn't help anyone in America. Um, unless maybe if you're a neocon and you want uh, the ability to wage war on the rest of the world. So maybe like Lockheed Martin lobbyists or Raytheon lobbyists, you know, the military-industrial complex in America. Like Maybe they like using this opportunity to bolster up or weaken America and bolster up um, you know, other places around the world that are the enemies of America. And then maybe they'll use that in time to come to bolster up some sort of weird proxy war against China or Saudi Arabia or something like that. But none of it really makes sense other than it's either hopelessly hopeless incompetence, which I think is the driving force of all of this, and more likely than not, it's the fact that since 2014, Russia has been preparing for this. So Russia, I think, knowing that this was coming for some time. You know, I, I think Russia Russia's seen this on the ward. I think also Putin is, is he's not you know, contrary to popular belief, everybody kind of talks about him as if he's somehow crazy and stupid. Um, but he's not. He's probably the he's probably one of the lo world's last great statesmen. I mean, if we've discussed this before on many podcasts, but if you look at 
statesmen's around the world, largely most of them were dunces. I mean, look at Macron and you know Trudeau. Watch them talk. They're just slimy little rehearsed puppets. There's nothing stately about them. These aren't smart people. These are just people that are pre-feeding set lines. And as long as they pre-feed the set lines, everything's okay. You know, they they know they know their media training, but outside of that, these aren't states. We even saw it with Germany, even Angela Merkel, when she would sit through and sit down and talk with Putin, Putin would out-talk her any day of the week. Watch Putin actually give a, a speech. Watch his composure. Watch mm. the, the, the stoicism that the man brings. Like, the guy is a very, very... Look for his notes. He doesn't have any. And he talks about, you know, the Russian Empire in 1601. And our people were connected by this great king of Russia, whatever, whatever. And he's speaking off the cuff, you know. But what is, what is, but the difference you're seeing here, Byron, I think it's a very important thing, especially for South Africa. We have people in power in these BRICS countries. Modi's going to run India for the next 20 years easily, easily. He's dropping poverty rates. He's increasing wealth. He's doing extremely well. He's a nationalist. Take out the Muslims who are gunning for him. Vladimir Putin himself might not be running Russia in 20 years time because he's 70, but his legacy is there and his, his successor will happen. She, same thing. He's got a third term as a CCP president. Uh, he's actually, correction, he has been granted the role as uh, president for life. That's right. So you got all, th so these three countries and Brazil now, Lula, has just become president. He's got, a, I think he's got a 10-year term again. These people can have a 10, 20, 30-year plan for their country. Mm. America can't. Europe can't. No. South Africa can't. South Africa can't have a 10-month plan for itself because... Right. They can't have a two-week plan. Off. Come on. Everyone thought the national shutdown would happen, and it didn't. And so which leads back to... I mean, all of this leads back to the question, where is South Africa in all of this? Nowhere. Why? Because we have nothing of value to offer to the world. At all. Maybe to Russia, who like gives, you know, a bit of money to the ANC, like 15 or 15 million rand every two, three I'm months. I'm not sure that's even going to carry it anymore, mate. Because, you, yeah, we'll you know, the Russians, the Russians oligarch, they're, 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 they're guy, that guy in South Africa was counting on the ANC to get them off a rather large tax bill. And the ANC fucked it up. And now the guy's been told that he has to pay it. So I think I think even that is like the, the Russians are going to look at stuff like that and go, ah incompetence was fine when it doesn't hurt us but now we get a tax bill to pay and we don't pay it yeah. so you know it's it's go it's not going to take long before the relations even with the russians sour just from an economic perspective we're seeing that now also even with the chinese i mean that the, the the anc love to to push through their chinese connection but this week alone, we've seen two news articles come out about Chinese failures. The first was around a locomotive deal where the locomotives haven't basically been provided to South Africa. Transnet's fucked anyway. And the other one is actually around a uh, a vehicle manufacturing plant in Kabecha, which was highlighted as being one of these great revolutionary industrial bullshits that the ANC negotiated with the Chinese. But it turned out today, after some people did some digging, that the the plant that obviously also got government money and some subsidies to build has not created one car. The plant's here. Some Chinese at it. Not one car's come off the assembly line. So obviously they all blame some bullshit reason, you know, COVID or some crap like that. But the reality is even the Chinese situation now is proving problematic. So how long before 
even South Africa's allies are like, ah, dealing with that country is a bit, uh, this is going to Brazil. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, when you go to a party and there's always been one retail that no one really likes, but you're forced to like invite him because he's like the husband of someone you like. And they just ruin the party all the time because they're just dumb. Or they talk about rugby all day and wear slops and shorts and looks like they should be on the beach, but it's the middle of winter in Joburg. Like, that's like South Africa in bricks. It's like, just like this little retarded thing in the room that you sort of have to work with somehow, right? Or it's the vegan at Thanksgiving, right? Where you have to, like, oh, goddammit, it, the vegans here. So we have to, like, try incorporate it somehow into our preparations, knowing full well we hate the vegan, but we're forced to sort of deal with it. Then it's South Africa. But I wonder how long that's going to last, because I think the ANC's regime is intrinsically linked to the Russian money to Chinese power to a variety of other things and to the Western powers. We will talk about that in a moment. But Russia and China see nothing of value here, which they really don't, by the way. I mean, you compare us to, to Mali, to Cameroon, to Kenya, to Tanzania, the Chinese poured billions and billions of won into those regions. In South Africa, they've made very little, nothing. A car plant is nothing. It's, it's a rounding error on the colonization project of Africa. But sooner or later, if the rounding error fails to materialize any meaningful return for the Russians or the Chinese, anti regime's over, my friend. There's nothing else is going to that, And that's exactly why I draw reference to, obviously, the Russian oligarch that's now got this big tax bill. Because the reality of the situation is they were relying on the, the ANCs to get them off the hook. They failed. Yeah. So... Do you think the Wagner group in Mali has, like, a tax bill issue? Right? Or... No. Or the Congolese mines in Katanga, do you think they got like a tax issue with the Congolese tax revenue services? No. No, they don't. In South Africa, somehow they do. The fancy is dumb. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I suppose in that in that perspective, it's like, you know, you, we're talking now about the multipolar world and where exactly does, does Africa or at least the South Africa fit in it? You know, it, Technically, the multipolar world should actually do very well for South Africa, should allow South Africa to become a degree of nationalistic and look after its own interests. But, you know, there's certain problems with that. The first is that South African politics is rather dumb in that you have certain individuals that still can't quite figure out if they're a bunch of racist bastards or if they want to be non-racial. You know, you had the ANC this week say, the chief whip talked about white people who were enjoying their land and still talking about Section 25 property expropriation, you know, it's like of the Constitution. And you're thinking, has like, get over this, actually do some stuff. Then you got Cyril going, why aren't there enough whiteies in, in, in positions of, of anything and why aren't they helping to build the country? And then you got the Minister of Finance saying, get all the whiteies out of, out of employment. Like, policy certainty in this country is shit. It's absolutely horrendous. And that policy certainty leads to financial uncertainty. And when you've got two economies like Russia and China, which needs a degree of certainty for their own economic growth, why the fuck would you invest here, man? Like, go to Botswana. I mean, they're, they're at least stable, you know? And that's that's actually exactly what we see. I mean, and these countries need things, right? Like Russia's sanctioned. They can't get like, I don't know, bulldozers from America anymore or from Europe or whatever. They need to get them somewhere else. Africa is a great start. India is a great start for, for, for normal things, like normal things, like nothing out of the ordinary. And I'm not talking about platinum. I'm talking about like bulldozers or 
don't know, earth moving equipment or farm equipment or whatever the case might be, because all the, the normal channels have been closed thanks to the sanctions. If South Africa was smart and we had a manufacturing base and we didn't have BE, we didn't have uh, a low, uh, what's called it, minimum wage, we could be a manufacturing hub or for bricks in, in some regards. But of course, that has become China rather than us. We are of no value whatsoever to BRICS, and we are of no value whatsoever to the West. And that's where you find ourselves right now. Absolutely, and that's also why I draw reference to the fact that even if you look at it from a population point, which is even, you know, one of the original criteria, we don't even have the population numbers in order to, you know, act as cannon fodder. So the the idea that South Africa actually has anything to offer BRICS is, is rather laughable, and I think we're starting to see that in terms of the the deals. So what prompted this podcast in the first place was that China, India, and Russia had obviously signed their own trade deals this week, and uh, as has now Saudi Arabia and, and Brazil. But one of the noticeable parties from the axis of evil that has not been included in any trade negotiations is South Africa, because no one wants to trade with us. So a lot of people are looking at South Africa's role within BRICS and going, as you rightfully said, it's like that annoying guy at bra that no one wants to talk to. So, how long how long do you reckon it's going to be till to a large degree, actually, South Africa gets booted from BICS? Yeah, I don't I don't think they can boot us by any means, but then they just treat us with contempt. And I just wonder what that will mean for the ANC regime or for the South African regime, whichever one, uh, you know, may take over from it. Interestingly, I didn't notice that the EFF came out that Putin shouldn't be arrested because of the imperialist ICC arrest warrant. And someone made the comment that, interesting that the EFF are quite uh, very pro-Russian and so the ANC. So that's a, a very strong signal that maybe the Russians are looking at the EFF as a way to bolster up the ANC and make sure that those two powers just continue on with this regime for the manganese mines of this particular I don't, I don't, I don't buy that to, to, to a large degree. I, I know you, we've got some inside information and all that stuff. Mm. I don't buy it. You know, and and I don't think it's it's just that. I do think that EFF ideology is very closely linked to ANC ideology. You know, what one of the things that um, Mr. Fix for Call notably said is that the ANC Youth League wrote large tracts of documentation many years ago, and when the when Julius Milima left, he basically took all of that documentation and the plans and turned it into the EFF. So the EFF is basically just a clone of what the ANC Youth League had intended to do as it went more, shall we say, radical, you know, pursuing the RET agenda, which we all know is bullshit. But yeah. to a large degree, it would be very surprising for the EFF to have a different tune to the ANC for it not to be pro-Russian. I mean, Julius has been pro-Russian since the start of the invasion. Man. I mean, if you recall... The EFF went to go see the Russian ambassador when Russia first invaded Ukraine. So you can't really say, well, this is a new thing, you know. It's like, this is a new thing. I'm just wondering if it's a signal. Um, Because maybe maybe we are completely wrong. And maybe Russia has a huge major influence in South Africa. And the EFF is just showcasing that, you know, Russia, if you still want influence, we want to be part of it. That's all. No, I think it's probably just more a case where the EFF were doing what they always do and they'll just say, oh, we're arresting him, we'll be, you know, Western colonialism and it's being Western colonialism play in Africa. and You know, anything that involves the, the Western forces of any variety, the EFF feels the need to issue a press statement saying, we condemn this. I mean, if 
if uh, if Joe Biden said Africa should send him toilet paper, I'm sure they'd write a, a statement saying that's racist somehow. I don't know. It's just EFF, right? It's, I don't think you can read too much into it. Maybe. Maybe. So based on, on all of this, right, does it make any... So we made a video this week, or I made a video this week about becoming the DA head of policy. I'm still waiting for the interview. I'm still waiting for the application form to come through. They know my email address and my number. So maybe I'm just waiting. You know, they're just, they're busy with their Congress, no doubt. So they'll get back to it once they get back to the office next week. Uh, but uh, one of the policies that I proposed was to have a sort of South Africa first nationalist policy in terms of international agreements and trade and foreign affairs. Basically, you decouple from the West, but you can still use the West if it's beneficial to South Africa, right? Like if the West wants to sell a nuclear reactor for half the price of the Russian one, cool, buy it, go ahead, right? But if Russia's nuclear reactor is half the price, we should go for that one because it benefits South Africa. Uh, of course, the DA is not going to hire me to be head of policy, but what is interesting, I wonder, what is... The other thing about the DA, what is the point of being pro-Ukraine at this stage in life when it's not even about Ukraine like at all it's about the multipolar world and the strategists in the DA should they have any aren't even thinking about that it seems to me because they just never discuss it yeah I don't, I don't, I don't know man. I don't know if it's that they never discuss it but I think it's probably more a state that you know, and thinking about it rationally, I think the the DA wants to to side with the the US hegemony. Like they don't want to side with the access of evil. You know, so they don't it's obvious that the DA wants to to align itself with this corner and we've said this before, the Democrat Party types in the US. I I do wonder whether or not they would have a completely different him to sing if it was still Donald Trump in the White House, you know, right? Would they still be wanting to align with a with a Trump type agenda? I think the answer would be no, and I think yeah. they'd probably be looking at alternatives. But the fact is, you know, they've got their Nancy Pelosi types sitting there in the U.S., which we know there's some members of the DA, you know, admire those people, and as a result, they they can see a kindredship with with a U.S. hegemony. I don't know how long that's going to last, mate. Yeah, which is dying. That's that's the point I'm trying to make here, right? Because South Africa is, I mean, if, if Afghanistan's like the death of empires, of, uh, South Africa's like the experiment of empires, right? Nothing really works here because we don't know what, what we want from the world. But if the multipolar world exists and America's influence does diminish greatly, I'm not saying America's going to die or become a minnow country, not in the slightest. I think they can be quite powerful for the next 100, 200 years rather easily but less powerful than than necessary number one and number two if you do follow an international law rules-based foreign policy you know those rules are created by the u.s but not for the u.s right i mean after the patriot acts right through the banking i'm sure you know this byron like they were looking at you know financing of terrorism so now everyone needs to do fika and everyone needs to do this and this and know your customer and all this other bullshit everyone else signed on to it and then when everyone signed, the U.S. says, okay, cool, we're not going to sign, but thanks. And then the U.S. still becomes the biggest money launderer the world's ever known. You know? And they impose all these rules on everyone else, 
and never impose it on themselves. Very much like the you know ICE International Court of Justice and the Rome Statute. They're, they're quite willing to go to the end of the earth to arrest Vladimir Putin for human rights violations, but the ICC has no jurisdiction whatsoever in America. So the rules-based foreign policy thing the DA thinks exists is complete bullshit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's dumb to think that it does exist strategically. So I intend to do a video next week actually on a, a topic very similar to this, and that is to draw reference to Joe Biden. And very ironically, I think that we can look at the way that Joe Biden is currently running his government and the Democrats are running their government to the decline of communism. So obviously Yeltsin. You can probably look at the, the similarities between Yeltsin and Joe Biden and the results of that. But if you look at you know Yeltsin in Russia, I mean, the guy was commonly known as being rather flaky, drunk all the time, never really there. Yeah, he won elections, but I mean, as far as point, his actual economic policies collapsed the country and ultimately led to the death of communism. Yeah, but he now, was a Russian puppet. Are you talking about Yeltsin what? or Gorbachev? No, not Gorbachev, Yeltsin was, yeah, the, Yeltsin final, was the final leader. That's right. He came on after was, communism fell, though. Well, no. Well, technically, yes, but I mean, he was still the uh, com the leader of the communism in Russia. So, obviously, Gorbachev was the person who liberalized Russia, and he allowed it to have a presidency and a parliamentary election. The first election actually was won by Yeltsin as a communist, but he was the last communist leader of Russia. Because after that, everybody, you know, the 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 successive elections after that meant that the Communist Party was basically dead and nobody's kind of voted. Even today, it's like a footnote that nobody really considers. What the EFF should be in South Africa if if the reality of it, the success rate was was real, not manufactured by the media. Yeah, that's 100%. So, you know, nobody kind of votes the guys and they, they have zero power and zero influence. But if you look at if you look at the similarities between the two, I... You know, you can see the way that Yeltsin ran the country and you can obviously see the way that Biden runs his country. So why has that become problematic? Well, because with the decline of Yeltsin in Russia, it didn't just lead to the decline of, well, Yeltsin and his party. It actually led to the decline in the idea of communism. It discredited communism across the globe. And then obviously it led to various forms of conflicts in various places looking at communism as being a failed experiment. And even today, if you refer to communism to most people that actually have a brain cell, they'll always highlight to you the fact that it, it didn't work, even where it was tried in the biggest country on the planet. And so you have to kind of look at that and say, you have to remind yourself what Joden Biden represents. He represents the free will. He represents the ability to, to have democratic elections, the ability of the First and Second Amendments, you know, economics you know, the idea of capitalism and, you know, keeping hold of your, your own, you know, the, the goods that you create, you know, the results, the fruits of your own labor. He represents what we would call as being the ideas of the free world. As Joe Biden screws up his country, he basically takes the ideas that the country's meant to stand for and makes it seem less plausible. And we are actually seeing that in real time. I mean, you know, countries like, as you know, even in Russia, they started to talk about the property right clauses. And they were saying, we were told for years about how property rights are sacrament. And yet when it all came down to it, the Russian, you know, Russian property abroad was expropriated by American forces, left, right, and center, which tells us that everything they said in terms of the property rights clauses were bullshit. 
they also said that uh you know we're told that like first amendment style you should be able to say whatever you want but when it all came through to russians telling their side of the story that was all bullshit and so you know who cares what they have to say now and so the ideas that america is meant to stand for are going to suffer the biggest collateral damage from joe Biden and the american failures because they discredit the very ideas and i think that's where the greatest threat of Biden to the world becomes because the near notion of of freedom is discredited as the man who is ruining a country that is meant to represent freedom continues to destroy it i mean why why would you want to endorse that kind of you know we said this before why would you want to endorse that level endorse that level of liberalism when you know they're trying to transfer the kids and cut everybody's you know private bits off even if they're five in the gate you see that in putin's rhetoric right he's like why would you want to have liberalization and allow people to make their own decisions it's a terrible idea it's terrible look at what they're doing in the u.s and so you can see that this is this is now becoming not just a an american issue it is becoming a threat to to liberty as a whole the problem is something that doug wilson pointed out to us once liberty dies there's no there's no west to reconquer right we can't go west and and find new degrees of liberty the world's closed so what so what happens next so i think your argument so i see what you're saying but i think biden's not going to be like the downfall of liberalism i think it's just another sort of continuation of the downfall of liberalism overall but i think what is maybe the way i see it is the multipolar world is basically a battle between nationalism and progressivism in a real sense like progressivism is basically having a pakistani prime minister of scotland and a hindu minister of britain with record numbers of immigration and a and a 85 year old senile man whose contemporaries are either dying or, or you know, sipping margaritas on the beach. But meanwhile, he's making proclamations on, you know, the, the trans killers of Christian children and saying that, uh, you know, the trans community are the moral foundation and they shape the morality of America. Uh, this is like three days after a mass terror attack by a trans person on, on Christian children, by the way, in a Christian nation. Yeah, but, but let's also remind ourselves that one of the things he actually, he was asked is, was this attack on Christians? And he said, no. Yeah. And the diverse and the diversity higher in in the White House said uh, this shows that uh, trans people are the most uh, you know the most hated and and victimized people in in the U.S. and they stand with trans people. Yeah. I imagine nineteen two thousand two thousand and one, mate. The the terrorists have bombed the twin towers. The twin towers had just fallen. Everybody's sitting in disbelief. They they've watched these two planes go in there. And imagine George Bush going on TV going. This shows you that Muslims are the most victimized people on the planet and we stand with Muslims. Like, everybody would be sitting there in stunned silence. Like, what? Yeah. This has actually just happened right now. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's truly unbelievable. And, and for anyone to place their cards with these with this evil, because that's what it is. It's just pure evil. It, it's just beyond me. Like I just don't understand the, in our particular case the DA stance on this. I, I just I just can't grasp the fact that this is your so-called progressivism of the 21st century. I mean, we are anti-progress. We are far more traditionalists. And funny enough, like we ha we are forced to basically pick a side between 
India, Russia, and China, three countries I'll never ever think about before five years ago, and America. You talk to me five years ago, I'll be like, yeah, America's still great. America's the aspirational thing we need to go towards. America is X, Y, Z. And now I'm thinking to myself, fuck, maybe we need a Chinese communist overlords who are nationalists and know a little bit of capitalism just to rule the world because at least they're sort of not evil in terms of undermining the very elements of what humanity is, i.e. gender and things like that. It's a very weird, very weird time of our lives for people like us as conservatives. It's not about tax cuts and gun rights. It's about the, the, the foundation of what humanity and what human beings are. And so far the Russians are more agreeable in this question than basically anyone else in the world, which is remarkable. Very remarkable. I mean, this, this actual shooting in the U.S. has massive implications. I don't think people really understand the implications. You know, I mean, one, one of the first things that is, one of the first implications are actually showing you up again. Do a, do a search. Go on Google onto news. I'm not saying you have to do this right now. But go, go on there and type in the Nashville shooting. Watch how many people have commented on Joe Biden's story about how he basically sat there and made he made jokes about the shooting. He actually made jokes about it. He didn't take it seriously. Watch how many people draw reference to the fact that it was a trans individual who claimed through their own manifesto that they had shot up the school because of their mental health. Watch how many people draw reference to that. Because the answer is zero. Watch how many people say, oh, the answer was guns. Just because there's guns? And guns are the problem? Yep, it's because guns, and we need to ban guns. Like, no, what you need to do, you little shits, is sort out your mental health problems with your people and stop trying to trans all the kids and cause political debates that are causing violence within your country. I actually have a solution for both. Sorry to say, we need to ban guns for trans people. You see, my genius exceeds my expectations. Stunned silence from the crowd. Well, I won, to be honest, but still. Well, the birds, birds responded. Right. And they said, yay? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you go. That is the solution. If I was Rand Paul or like Ron DeSantis, I would say, you know, in the interest of the, the safety of our children, I will ban the, the sale of firearms to the trans community. Let's see the heads roll around that. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it's, the, the whole thing has just become a, a bit of a farcical joke now because the actual idea behind behind all of this and where all the problems in the United States are very well known, but nobody actually wants to take the tackle of it. And I think to a large degree that that's, that's actually a worldwide problem, right? I mean, we have the same problem here in South Africa. Everybody knows what the problems are and nobody wants to tackle them. It's like we all know why nobody wants to invest here, but we're not going to change it, right? I mean, let's just live with it. So, nothing's going to change. No, that's, I don't think it's going to change. And ironically, I think what you're going to find is like these trans militias coming up uh, soon. You can see on TikTok, they're already, I don't, I'm not on TikTok, but I've seen videos of trans people, you know, working out and trans people at the shooting range and trans people carrying guns and creating things where they're like killed Chris Cucks. Christian people as, as a, you know, emblazoned on their t-shirts. So you're going to get like trans militias, like the Black Panthers of like the 70s, but now they're like just trans. We'll see where that goes. And, um, yeah. Well, it's the gun's fault. It's the, it's the gun's fault. Clearly, 
nothing to do with the mental health and gender dysphoria at all. It can only be the gun's fault. And it wasn't even an AR-15 either. It was some 22 thing. It was a 22 caliber thing. So anyway, yeah, but I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's unbelievable that in a Christian nation, a person goes to a Christian school, kills three children under the age of seven, or whatever the case might be, and, and three elderly people. And then, no, the, the, the shooter's the victim here. There's a, nowhere else have we valorized evil like this before, right? No one says, oh, Osama bin Laden, you know. It's only Ron Paul already said, you know, well, America screwed up Afghanistan when he was there, so that's why he hates America, which which we agree with. But no, but no one says that that abstains him from responsibility for his actions afterwards. But now we're doing it. Because what, they trance? Come now. Yeah, well, one person actually on CNN went out and basically said, and I'm paraphrasing it because I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically said uh, this was all done because uh, in that state they'd just passed some laws against uh, child conversion therapy. You're like, right. Right, So So you're admitting it's a terrorist act, right? So you're admitting that this person perpetrated violence for political reasons, which is terrorism. No, it it it's it was an act of self-defense, according to the news, because obviously the trans community are undergoing genocide. Even though statistically speaking, statistically speaking, the trans community under has the lowest form of death and killings in the United States, I mean, by far. But let's be honest, here. how many trannies are there in fucking Tennessee, mate? Like Tennessee is a fucking deep south, <laughs> like a hillbilly. There's, there's more incest bred picks than trans people in Tennessee. I'm going to use trannies. It's just easier. I don't really care. Like how many trannies are there in Tennessee? I mean, come on now. It's like fucking asking uh, how many trannies are there in Brackbun? Like, no one cares. No one gives a shit about Brackbun. God left that place a long time ago. Like, come on. The, the idea that the trans community in Tennessee are like under threat. There's like no one there. There's like two people. And one's dead now. Pronouns was were. What's <laughs> I don't know, man. It the, the whole the whole thing has become a kind of parody of itself. It's like, but I don't think this is going to get. I don't think this is going to get less. Huh? No. This is this is going to get worse. In, in in the past, you may have looked at like the women's rights revolution, and been like, why didn't the women's rights revolution go this radical? And the answer the answer is actually very easy to understand. Women aren't typically violent because they don't have testosterone going through them. They're also not as physically advanced as men. Like, there are actual biological differences between two sexes. Who knew? And so because they were the, let's call them the weaker sex that typically didn't engage in warfare, they typically didn't tend to have a violent revolution. Can't say the same for Chinese, mate. Yeah. Can't. Not anymore. Can't. And the immortal Donald Trump came out. Did you, did you read his statement? He says, we know very well that trans people have a higher sense of mental illness, which is why I banned them from the military. But the, pro- but the problem, mate, is he's not wrong. Of course he's not wrong. He's completely right. But it's a good angle to the story. At, at the RDSM, the international rules behind Jahan actual mental illnesses class gender dysphoria as a mental illness. Yeah. It is actually, it is a technically a mental illness. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness. And one of the remedies to it is obviously gender reassignment, which helps you obviously alleviate the symptoms of gender dysphoria. No, that's not. No, I fully agree. I fully disagree with you. That's not a solution to it. That is basically saying 
to someone who sees aliens all the time to actually say yes there are aliens i understand i understand that but that is one of the approved things that that's medical i'm sorry but i'm not the expert i'm a monetary expert i'm not a i'm not a i'm not a biologist not a okay so so at the but at the end of the day it was a mental disorder and even the conversion therapy was a way to alleviate the symptoms of gender dysphoria right so you can't look at that and say oh well actually it's just like you know modern humanism right it's just this idea that we can just swap things and decide things as we feel like there is actually a mental dynamic to this but we're not allowed to talk about that anymore right it's like ah, that's 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 forbidden you're not allowed to do that yeah because so it's heteronormative you know are you saying people you know people need to think in a certain way that's just like you know the white man imposing his will on you like that's the thing right what, what is right and wrong good or bad good or evil whatever the case might be like everything's like just like a pathology now like there's no such thing as good or bad there's no such thing as a binary anymore it's all like let's just have a discussion about it it's like it's like i saw on on, on twitter some stupid woman in britain has a photo of herself vomiting on the uk flag she's black she lives in the uk and she's a singer and she says oh look at my art cover for my album right and i made this not to disrespect the uk but just to have a conversation so no you're fucking mediocrity it creates degenerate stuff to create a conversation about your fucking narcissism that's all it is and if you if you boil down western civilization today it is narcissism on fucking steroids that's all it is yeah or as one individual on twitter said if your if your struggles in life or what you're called in terms of your pronouns you are the most overprivileged society in history yeah very much so a decadence that's all it is. absolutely which killed their own empire and hopefully kills the, the global mood well, it's killing it right now, mate. And that was the whole premise of everything we've talked about from all the way at the start of look at BRICS and what it's doing in order to, to combat it. The actual death of the American empire has been self-inflicted. We can, we've talked about that. The, the, the dollar, the inflation of the dollar for them trying to kind of, you know, hedge their own power, it's not gone the way they want. And it is forcing people to de-dollarize. You know, we've talked about where that leads a lot of these countries in terms of where they're going forward in terms of the future, in terms of their economic and their political policies. Like, why is America in the shit show? So a lot of it is kind of coming down to to, to pure decadence, that the, the idea that, I suppose it is the, the idea of just relativism. Everything, everything's relative in the US, right? I mean, your opinion is just as valid as my opinion, and my opinion is just as valid as everybody else. Therefore, none of us really have an opinion, so let's just like, let's just get along, man. But you can't run a country like that. There needs to be some kind of founding creed. There needs to be some form of commonality between individuals. And there isn't anything in the American environment, which is where Russia and China do remarkably better because yeah. there is something that they they have to hold on to. Well, they're filling in the gaps and uh, you sort of know what you're working with, right? When Russia signs a deal. Well, like I know people who deal with Russia, right? They do Russian businesses and they sell things from here to Russia and China. These, these bosses pay before the stuff has left South Africa. <laughs> you mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but a deal's a deal. Like, we signed it, it's fine. And then it's a good business. They pay before the stuff's even left the fucking ship of Richards Bay or wherever it goes from. Everywhere else, it's like, oh, 90 day and this and that and maybe we'll never... It's really and like, it's... So, when you sign a deal with Russia, you sign a deal. Simple as that. 
Respektive. Just because if you don't pay, we will put the horse's head in your bed. And also your wife's head next to the horse's head. So everybody understands. Yeah, don't fuck with the Russians. I think that's the Italians. One last thing on this though. Right. If you look at Western colonization of, of Africa, right? It was really an imposition of Western values on the natives, right? The Russian and Chinese colonization of Africa is the opposite of that. I don't know if you noticed that. Someone someone told me this yesterday and I was like, actually, that's actually very, very good. Because the French influence on this continent of Africa has diminished dramatically in two years, right? 90% of the French forces are, are out of this place, replaced by Russian forces, namely the Wagner Group, uh, mining interests, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What these people do is like they bribe the president and they stay out of politics completely. They don't want to convert the locals. They will employ them and shit like that and pay them. They don't want to convert. They don't want to, they don't want to make a vodka distillery factory or introduce him to the Russian theater or bullshit like that. They're like, nah, you just you workers. The president says we can be here. We will be here. You will work for us. We'll extract the stuff and then we fuck off. Simple as that. Nothing more, nothing less. Chinese are the same. Obviously, the Russians are the same, as I just mentioned. But if America colonizes you, have you noticed? They try to like impose their values. Like on Afghanistan, right? Where Afghanistan, you had NGOs going in to show Afghanistan women like modern art and what, how to deconstruct like a urinary, a urinal rather, by the show, some fucking piece of art from the 1920s. But the Russians and the Chinese don't do that. And I think for Africa, that is quite a nice change of pace, which is why they are so influential, Russia and China in Africa, because they're not, it's not an imposition of values, it's just pure extraction. It's fair. Right. I don't know if I'd say it's fairer because some, 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 it's fairer to the people in charge and it's fairer to, to the people here because you're not going to get a lecture. People are going to take stuff and they're going to leave. They're going to leave you to do what you want. So it depends. I mean, if the, if the parties that you're extracting from or from are decadent and delinquent, well, you're not really going to kind of, you're not going to stop that, are you? You're just going to say, well, you do you, we'll do us, you give us our shit, and off we'll go. So you can see that even here in South Africa. But it's a much you know. easier trade for, for African governments to deal with Russia and the Chinese because the terms are clear. Absolutely. We just want what you Absolutely. have, and we'll take it out. That's all. We'll pay you 10%. If America Absolutely. does that, it's fucking a whole different story. You need to imbibe the entire Western canon of like training rights before that absolutely and i think that's for this to a large degree where the actual problems now become are coming in aren't they yep as i'm sure you agree yeah but i don't know my friend i don't know like these these guys at the moment are uh screwing up everything left right and center and what that ultimately means is that the world order is drastically changing which I suppose we can end off on actually saying that that's exactly what Chi and, uh, and Putin said when they met each other this week, didn't they? They said, we are changing the world. People will look back on this this time and say, we were the parties who changed it. Yeah. And he's right. And the crying shame is South Africa is not going to be part of that change. Because we're just teams. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. If you are watching, if you're a paid member, thank you so much. If you want to support our show, please do become a member on Substack. The link is, of course, in the show notes down below. Have a lovely time. See you the next time around on Morning Shot Uncut.
Cheers. Cheers.